Thanks, Jeff. It's uh, lovely to be with you. I was here some years ago at the Union Church. It's great to be back. Um, I've spent most of my life teaching in the world of the Bible College. And I've taught in, in, in Moore College in Sydney, and I've taught for a number of years in Pakistan. And then more recently, I became the principal of a college in Melbourne. It's now called the Melbourne School of Theology, MST. And I was there for six years, and we made some, some quite, quite big changes. We changed the campus, the name, made a lot of changes. But my first change was when I went there, they had every second Monday what was called Principal's Forum where he could do whatever he wanted. He could give a talk or have a guest speak or, or anything every second Monday. My first change was to make it every Monday with the same speaker. That was me. Um, and I just did that I did it for two reasons. One, because I think a principal is a, is a bit like a pastor. The, the, the college students and staff are kind of like the church, the, the, the flock, and I'm the shepherd, and you, you teach, and you shepherd the sheep by the word. But also, most of the students there had never heard expository preaching. It was all topical in their churches. I want to expose them to expository preaching. So for six years, I did that. Uh, my first series was the Sermon on the Mount. I did, we did Hebrews, Colossians, Luke, Judges, Numbers. Just for six years, I just, and some topical stuff, I preached through the Bible for six years. I announced at the beginning of my last year I was leaving... With one sermon to go, I said to the student body, look, for six years, I've picked the passages, okay? You've had no say. Now, with one to go, you get to pick the passage. I'll preach on any passage in the Bible that you ask me to. Although these are mature students, they won't be silly. So I thought to myself, in my naivety, they'll probably say, I might preach the gospel. Now, remind us once again how we're saved. Just preach us the gospel. Or they might say, Mike, preach preach grace. Preach that great distinctive of the Christian faith. Preach grace. Or I thought they might say, MST began 100 years ago as a missionary sending college. Mission is part of our DNA. They'll probably say, Mike, Mike, send... Let's hear the call to world mission. Preach the gospel, preach grace, preach world mission. Uh, but they didn't. Would you turn, please, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19 and This was my farewell sermon at Melbourne School of Theology. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then sleep with him, and preserve our family through our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. 
He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was unaware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter is the, uh, had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. This is the word of the Lord. Hmm. I could have said no. And I have a precedent. There's a group called the Calvin Translation Society who've translated all of Calvin's sermons. But they came to this text and refused to translate it. Wouldn't even include it in their commentaries. There's a commentator called R.C.H. Lenski. He's done the whole Bible except this passage. You skipped over it because it would not be edifying for Christian eyes or ears. That's not my view. I believe, I think as you do, I believe in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed, all of it, and is good for us, for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we might be equipped thoroughly for every good work. This is God's word, this is good for us. This will make us more like Jesus, actually. It'll equip us for ministry. So I've got to preach it. Although it's not a nice passage, it's grubby, it's unpleasant, it's sordid. I mean, some scholars say, look, you can't judge that time by our time. Back then, they had to have kids. You can't judge them. Nonsense. In any culture, incest is sin, especially the Jewish culture. This is horrendous. And we'll see in a moment, God thinks so too. Because God judges them for this, as we'll see in a moment. Let's think about the passage, just to think about the context. If you know the story of Lot, and you, you may do, Lot's moved into Sodom, this, this big city. Before this passage, Abraham is, God tells Abraham, I'm about to destroy the city of Sodom. It's so sinful, I can't take it anymore, I'm going to destroy them. And they begin a debate, and, and Abraham says, what, what? If there's 50 righteous people, will you destroy it? Well, oh, no. 40, 30, how about 10 righteous? If there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. I promise. If there's 10, just 10. So God sends two angels to Sodom to check it out to see if there's 10 righteous. They turn up in Sodom, and there at the city gate, they meet Lot. Now, back there, the city gate was where the elders met. So Lot, I think, has become a man of some importance in Sodom, this sinful city. He had been with Abraham, but he's gone there, I think, I suspect, because he, he likes what Sodom offers. He's gone there, he's at the gate, he meets these two angels. 
Now, whether he, he knows the angels, we're not sure, but he welcomes them. And they say, oh, we'll just pitch our tent in the, the city square. He says, guys, this is Sodom. You don't want to stay in the city square. Come, come into my house. So initially, I'm impressed with Lot. He's hospitable. I, I get that world. I, I worked in Pakistan. They're very hospitable. They're amazingly hospitable. One time I was going to a conference in a place called Multan. I went to the, on the plane with my colleague. We got to the airport. We got a taxi. And the taxi said, where are you going? I said, oh, we're going to, to the Catholic conference center in this place. Oh, he said, I know. I live just around the corner. Hey, how about on the way? Come to my house for a cup of tea. I'm not sure about Perth. That, that doesn't happen a lot in Melbourne. You know, the taxi guy says, come to my place for a cup of tea. We went there for a cup of tea. He said, stay for lunch. He stayed for lunch. He said, stay for dinner. I said, we can't. We've got a conference to go to. He said, I'll take you anywhere you want in Multan free of charge. They're incredibly hospitable. Wonderful. And that's Lot. He takes these men into his house and cares for them. But what happens next, if you know the story? Let me read to you what happens next from chapter 19. Verse 4. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. God has said, if I find ten righteous, I'll spare the city. Well, there's your answer. All the men, every part, young and old. Not one righteous. Now what, what Lot does next almost defies belief. He went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Now again, to an extent, I, I, I get that. I know that culture. I've lived in that culture. Honor, shame culture. There is in Pakistan a region which is a no-go area. The police have no control there. It's lawless. It's where they thought Osama bin Laden was hiding out. It's the rule of the there's law. It's the law of the tribe. It's where the Taliban live. And there are signs on the border to foreigners warning, don't go in there. I know a young missionary went in there. Like John Chow last week went to North Central Island of the Indian Ocean. He went in there, never came out again. Now, my local postman, who i become, become a friend, was from a village there. He said to me once, oh, Mike, come, come to my village for the weekend. Would, oh, I thought, wouldn't that be so, what a prayer letter that would be. I mean, so interesting. To go to, I might meet Osama, go to, where the, go to where the Taliban are. How interesting to stay there, see where they make the guns, buy a few Kalashnikovs, take them home for, to show on my furlough. I mean, it's so interesting. Oh, amazing. I didn't because my wife would freak and the mission would sack me. I, I didn't go. But the thing is this. I knew I would be safe. Because in that culture, it's an honor thing. 
If you have a guest, you protect that guest with your life. And you'll be safe. He gave his life for me. His life. Not the lives of his daughters. I've got two, I've got two virgin daughters. As Jeff has. I'd die for them. You touch my daughters, I'd die for them. So what, I, what lost, I actually think, I can't prove this. I think to a degree you can draw a direct line between what Lot is prepared to do there with his daughters and what they do later in the cave. I think he sowed a seed and reaped the whirlwind. Well, that's the, well, as you may know the story, God strikes all the men blind and Lot and his daughters don't uncompromised. You fast forward the story, the, the, the judgment comes on Sodom and the angels grab Lot and his, his wife and daughters and lead them out of the city, somewhat uh, reluctantly, verse 16. But because of the Lord's compassion on him, for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of the two daughters. They brought him out of the city and left him, in the, left him outside. The wife, as you know, turns back and looks at, because she loves Sodom. She's destroyed with the city. Lot and the girls escape. Judgment, destruction end up in a town called Zoar. I'm not sure why. They don't stay there. Maybe it's hostile. I'm not sure. They end up in a cave. There he is, Lot and his two girls in a cave with nothing except apparently lots of grog. I don't know where that came from. but <laughs> A cave. If you know your Old Testaments, one, one part of God's blessing on the righteous was to give them Lots of good things. Once Lot had, like Abraham, many flocks, herds, tents, fields. He was a wealthy man. Now what's he got? A cave. A refuge for, for thieves and robbers. That's where you find him. What a come down. Then the girls concoct this obscene plan, really, to raise up for themselves sons. To get their father so blind drunk... He doesn't know what he's doing. And they both sleep with him. They commit incest. They fall pregnant and have two sons. The father of the Moabites and the Ammonites. And you wonder, why, Moses, why do you put this story, this grubby tale in the Bible? Why? Here's why. To tell Israel, those two tribes who for centuries have oppressed you, I mean your enemies, Moab and Ammon. The king of Moab tried to get Balaam to curse Israel. If you read Judges, fat king Eglon, a Moabite, oppressed Israel for decades. Those two nations that have oppressed you and made you... You know where they came from, don't you, he says. They came from you. They came from your patriarch and his sin. That's God's judgment on this act. I'll give you sons, two sons, and they'll father tribes who for centuries will be your enemies. God judges that. And that's where the story ends. You don't meet Lot again in the Bible. What a terribly tragic picture of this, this man. The last scene of him, there he is, naked, 
drunk in bed with his daughter. But what I find most striking about Lot is not what Genesis says. Turn, please, with me to 2 Peter. Two Peter chapter two. Peter speaking about judgment and some examples of judgment from their history, like Noah. But he comes to verse six of two Peter chapter two. If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. (laughs) I'm thinking, am I I missing something here? Is it the same lot? Did his family pay him for this whitewash? I mean, this righteous man? Distressed and tormented? Give me a break. This man prepared to give his daughters for packed rape? This father of incest, this righteous man? How do you bring together... Genesis 19 and 2 Peter 2. How do you do that? Well, I think you've got to say, haven't you? Here here is a profoundly flawed man. He'd not be on my church board. He'd not be a deacon. He wouldn't be an MTS trainee. On the other hand, he, he made some right choices, didn't he? God's servants came. They were hungry and he fed them. First he gave them a drink. Homeless he gave them a home. And as he did it to the least of those God's servants, he did it to God. And he believed to a degree. He heard the word. There's judgment coming. There's salvation in the Lord. He believed that. He had faith, albeit as a mustard seed, that faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And in the end, God sees the heart and I don't. And God says in his heart, he was tormented. I've got to believe that. A righteous man for all his faults. Well, that's the story of Lot. Let's apply that to us today. What do you say? Beware the demon alcohol. You could do that. If you cut yourself off from God's people, you'll end up in a cave somewhere. You, you, you could say that. You could say, fathers, there's a lesson here. Actually, I think there is. That's not the point. I think there is, actually. That's a very sobering lesson. I'm a father of four kids. I just think, with my girls, as a father, if I sow the wind, they'll reap the whirlwind. You know, God forbid I ever mistreat my girls or my wife. 
It's been said, you know, don't ever preach a sermon on the life of Lot. May it never be said, don't preach a sermon on the life of Mike Brater. I want my girls to say to me, Dad, I want to marry a man just like you. That's what I want to hear. So I think there's a lesson there for parents. That's at the point of the text. I began by saying, I, was, I wish these students had said to me, Oh, Mike, preach the gospel. Well, I did actually, didn't I? Judgment is coming. And the good news is, there's salvation in the Lord if you trust in him. There's there's more to it than that, the Lord who gave his son. But there is there the gospel in this passage, the good news. I said, uh, I wish you'd preach grace. Well, actually, I did. Can you think of a better example of grace than this one? The Old Testament's last word on Lot is naked, drunk, in bed with his daughter. The Bible's last word is this righteous man. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, God forbid, if you or I ever blow it big time, and God forbid we do, that need not be the last word. The last word is grace. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful example of grace. I said I wish you'd preach world mission. Well, I did actually. Because Moab, down the track, would have a daughter. And her name was Ruth. And down the track, she'd have a son, a great-great-grandson, and his name was David. And down the track, he'd have a son, the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, if you read Matthew 1, you see there the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And there are four women, and amongst them is Ruth, the Moabite. The daughter of incest. There she is. Our Lord's ancestor. From this grubby act, a seed is sown to bring about the saviour of the world. Isn't that fantastic? Who'd save the Moabites? And the Ammonites? And the Chinese? And the Arabs? And the Canadians? And the Aussies? And all of them? And all can have its seed there. In that cave outside Zoar. Because all the Bible's about Jesus. It's all the gospel. It's all the good news of the salvation of the world. Here in this grubby story, as an embryo, is the good news of salvation, is the grace of God, and God's loving, saving power for the whole world. What a wonderful passage. Thanks, guys, for picking it. A perfect text. Let me pray. Father, we, we are amazed tonight at uh, your saving power in rescuing us from the coming judgment. We stand amazed at your grace that 
even when your saints are at their lowest and their most frail and their dirtiest, you save and redeem and wash clean. And thank you, too, that your arms of love stretch all around the world and you call people of every nation to come to their king and find in him forgiveness and eternal life. May we never be ashamed of the gospel, never be ashamed of the scriptures, but preach all your word faithfully, boldly, giving glory to the Son. We pray this in his name. Amen.